Father. Praise you, Father God. Lord, we praise you, Father God, for you, Lord. Your voice, the power in your voice, the majesty in you, Father God. Lord, we praise you, Lord, for giving us, Lord, this privilege, Lord, to serve a God who is full of majesty, Lord, who is full of awe, Father, who is full of wonder, Lord, who is full of power, Father God. Lord, we thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for showing us, Father God, connecting, Lord, the storms that we face in the life, Lord, with the storms in this nature, Father God, that we experience, Father, that it is nothing before you, Father God. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful psalm, Father God, where it is calling us, Lord, to higher level, where it is asking us, Lord, to check our heart of worship, Father. Lord, I pray that you take your leading, Lord, you take your place in this prayer call, Father, and you speak to us, Lord, so that we can hear. I pray all of this, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. Again, the Psalm 29 is not about the storms we face. This Psalm is showing us all that we need to do is turn our eyes heavenward. It is showing us, it is not about the storm. Don't look here on earth. Turn your eyes heavenward and celebrate what you see and magnify and exalt our King of Kings above the storm. That is what David did in Psalm 99. He was marveled. He was in awe by the power of God and started to worship him, started to praise him, started to magnify him, started to glorify him and started to exalt him. If there is one thing that we respect, it is power in today's world. Man has always been fascinated by power. The power of a nation, the power of throne, the power of horses, the power of chariots, the power of engines, the power of designation, the power of education, the power of wealth, the power of recognition, the power of beauty, and the power of status. But David was clearly fascinated by the power the voice of the Almighty. He was clearly fascinated by the power, the voice of the King of Kings. He was clearly fascinated by the, the power in the voice of the one who created the nature. This is a quote from a book called Knowing God and it was written by J.I. Packer and it was published in 1973. The Christians, Instincts of trust and worship are stimulated very powerfully by knowledge of the greatness of God. I'm going to repeat that, you know, how you can stimulate and your greatness of God is to be, is, is growing in the knowledge of the greatness of God. That is how your worship and your trust in God can be stimulated. That's what he says. But this is knowledge which Christians today largely lack. And that is one reason why our faith is so feeble and our worship so flabby. We are modern men and modern men, though they cherish great thoughts of man, have as a rule, small thoughts of God. And when the man in the church, let alone the man in the street uses the word God, the thought in his mind is rarely of divine majesty. That is what he wrote in that book in 1973. The man in the church and the man in the street who doesn't know God 
when they uses the word God, there is no divine majesty when both of these men take God's name in their lips. Please remember these words were written in 1973. And do you believe the modern thinking people have gained ground or lost ground in the area of divine majesty? Do we meditate on the glorious splendor of his divine majesty? So do you really think that we have gained ground or we have, we have been losing ground because this book was written in 1973? And my thought is we are losing ground. So only we can go into that kind of um, worship like what David is stating here. It is not about going to church. It is not about doing coming to a Bible study. It is not about going to a prayer call. Worship is the act of entering God's presence for the sole purpose of exalting him. And that is what we see here, David repeatedly telling us how powerful his God is, how powerful our mighty God is. He says, says, says that his voice breaks down the cedar. He splits the giant tree of Lebanon. He shakes Mount Lebanon and Mount Sirion. They leap and skip before him like young calves. The voice of the Lord thunders through the lightning. It resounds through the deserts and shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. And if you want to enter in that kind of worship, you need to learn to exalt your God. You need to learn to trust him. You need to grow in the knowledge of him. Many times we leave church, Bible study, prayer meeting the same way as, as we entered. We sit unmoved, unemotional because to us, attendance and worship are the same thing. Just because we attend, it does not mean we worship God. Worship is to focus only on him. Worship is to solely focus on him. Worship is just diving into his presence. David goes on to speak in verse 1 to 2. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Many people fear of thunder and lightning. Notice that David's thought did not turn to fear but to faith. He looked beyond the thunderstorm and saw it as an illustration of God's power. And this is such an encouragement for us to look beyond the thunderstorm you are in and look with the eyes of faith, not with the eyes of fear. And look at your God who is full of power. Nature through the years have demonstrated to man how powerful it can be in a destructive way. Tornadoes and earthquakes and the damage it can do. After everything is over, people come out with their cameras to take pictures of the damage done by the nature. They stare in wonder at cars on top of houses and wonder at the great force which would have had to use to accomplish that. David reminds us that nature is God's tool and the nature is not God's master. Is connecting to nature to make us understand how powerful is the voice of the Almighty to make us understand that he is powerful than the storm you are in and not to focus on God's tool, the storm, but to turn to the master who has the power to control the storm you are in. 
because the power to control the storm is in his hand and the storm is just his tool. That is what David wants us to know. This storm, this psalm is not about the storms we are in. This psalm is encouraging us to not to exalt our storms, but to exalt, magnify, honor, and glorify the great God, the glorify the majestic God. And it is a call to worship the King of Kings and Lord of all and worship, not this kind of worship, just going to church and just you attended church, it is worship. No, it is calling us to, to us in, to enter into a worship that will transform you because the true worship is a transforming activity. That is worship. In the Psalm, David gives us the reason to worship. Worship is adoration towards God for who he is, his character, his faithfulness, his omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence. Worship is telling God that truly he is worthy of all our thanksgiving, praise and adoration. Worship is not about us. It is not about what I want or what, what, what makes me happy. Worship is alone. Worship is solely about the majesty of, the, of our King of Kings and Lord of all. Worship is alone about him and not about your needs. In Revelation 4, 10 to 11, Chapter 4, verses 10 to 11. The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crown before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. This magnificent scene is a mental image to engrave into our hearts and minds, and it's nothing more than choosing to give back to God what he already deserves. When we are given the news that all our sins of yesterday and today are forgiven and tossed into the sea of forgetfulness by God, is this any less of a reason to throw away the crowns of hay, the crowns of stick that is going to burn? And is it any reason for us to hold on to that than to fall prostrate before our King of Kings and Lord of Lord in worship and adoration? That is worship. And yet we worship so often with downcast eyes. He has called us that you are my child, you are my princess, you are my ambassador, you are my spokesman. Yet we worship so often with the downcast eyes. Our prayers are mumbled. And when we go to prayer, we are there with absent thoughts. Our thoughts are just wandering. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon described worship as this. When you speak of heaven, let your face light up. Let it irradiate with a heavenly gleam. Let your eyes shine with reflected, reflected glory. But when you speak of hell, well, then your ordinary face will do. But too often, either we talk of heaven or we talk of hell, our face is same. It is not radiating with a heavenly gleam, neither does our eye shine with the reflected glory of our Savior, of our Lord, because our eyes are not spent time with him. Then how can it reflect the glory of our God? We are same like the men of church and we are same like the men who is outside the church 
and there is no divine majesty when we take her name of our God in our, on our lips. Our face are not gleaming, our eyes are not shining. Tony Evans says, if you limit worship to where you are, the minute you leave that place of worship, you leave your attitude of worship behind like a crumpled up church bulletin. That is what many of us do. Our time of worship is in Bible study, in church, and that's it. Then the worship is like a crumbled church bulletin. And why, why this worship is very important, I'm just going to take us through that. The first person, person mentioned in the Bible as worshiping God did it wrong. Cain was the first to offer an offering to God and it was unacceptable. His brother Abel offered an acceptable offering. Cain became so upset that he ended up killing his own brother. Cain's problem was not only that he did not offer the right thing that he was supposed to, but his problem was a problem of the heart. He did not have the heart of a worshiper. And devil wants us away from actual, true and authentic worship. Because when we encounter into an actual, true and authentic worship, we are going to encounter the King of Kings and the Lord of all. And he never wants us to get into the actual, the authentic worship. Worship is at the center of a great spiritual warfare. Satan even tried to get Jesus, the Lord of the universe, to worship him. And we are reading that from Matthew chapter 8, verses, Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he asked to him, all the things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. God is calling us to be worship warriors through this psalm because worship warriors, when you become that, it will defeat the enemy's forces in our lives. Worshiping God is the act that silences the powers of darkness around us, causing them to bow down to us as we proclaim the truth that Jesus is the Lord, as we proclaim to the truth that Jesus has the mighty power to shut the enemy's plan. And when we worship God, it defeats the enemy's forces in our lives. Satan wants us to be a worthless and powerless time we spend time with God. He does not want you to worship God because when you do so, you serve God alone. But when you go to a Bible study, when you go to a church, and when you go to a prayer meeting and go there and come back as you were, that is when he is happy. Because he does not want you to worship God alone. He wants us to worship him too. Because that's what Christ said. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. And Satan does not want you to worship God. Because when you do so, you will serve God alone. Jesus answers for all time the questions of whom we are to worship. That is what Matthew 4, 10 states. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The one true God is the object of our worship and nothing else. Nothing we have earned, nothing we possess, nothing that our hands have created. We worship the Lord not only because of who he is, but also of, because of what he has done for us. 
the people of Israel worshiped God because of who he was, but also because of the mighty acts he did for them. A God who saves you from Egypt is worthy of worship. A God who parts the Red Sea is worthy of worship. A God who leads you in the desert day and night for 40 years is worthy of worship. A God who sends his one and only son to die on the cross for you is worthy of worship. Our God and only God is worthy of worship. Nothing else. Quite obviously, worship is totally concerned with the worthiness of God and not the worthiness of the worshiper. You don't have to clean yourself and come to worship him. Bible says, come as you are. That is what worship is about. It is not about your worthiness. It is the worthiness of our God. Abraham's reverent prostration before the three angels when they visited him. God's messenger to inform Abraham about the planned destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. As his angels approached Abraham, he prostrated himself completely and then further ministered to their knees. That is, the, that is called worship. Later, when Abraham sent his servant Eliezer to find a bride for his son, the scripture records he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. This verse is used to describe the action of the elders of Israel when Moses brought to them his first report that God was about to deliver them from the bondage of Egypt in Exodus chapter 4, verse 31. The people believed, then they bowed their heads and worshipped God. They were doing something as an expression of an inner attitude or feeling and their body was helping to exhibit their emotions. They not only said something, but they did something. They were not merely thankful, but they expressed their thanksgiving in action. They worshiped in a way that they, are, that they, others, and God knew they were worshiping because they were prostrating before God. You know, what do you see when you go to churches today? We don't seem to be grateful for what the Lord has done for us. We sing, we stand up. But this is not much in action. If we are excited, as we say, we are on the inside. It sure isn't being manifested on the outside. So this is the time for us to examine our outside, outward expression of worship. And does that really reflect of what is on the inside? Maybe we will have to work on the inside and start paying more attention to the outside. We worship when we enter into his presence to express our humility, our respect, our adoration, our gratitude, and our love for him. But how do we worship when we go in his presence? Our, hand, our legs are on top of one another. Our knees barely bend when we go before him in worship. David's focus was God and only God. And if we focus on praising God as the creator of everything, then our worship will be different. We will have the same excitement that David had. David acted like a little boy trying to please his daddy. Is your worship like that? When you worship, do you realize that you did not have anything to do with any of this? Do you realize that if not for God's grace, you wouldn't be here? Why did David worship God with all his might? It is because he understood the glorious majesty of Almighty God. He understood his insignificance before a holy God. He had respect for God and he loved his God. 
And he says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. He provides multiple reasons to worship Lord, multiple reasons to praise our Lord. His power and his majesty, his rule over all nature, his intimate oversight of even the most minute, the minute detail of life. Therefore, he says, all creations cries glory, glory, glory. Then he moves on to Psalm 29, verse 10 to 11. The Lord sits enthroned over the engulfing waters. The Lord sits enthroned as the eternal king. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord grants his people security. The psalmist invites us to trust that the God of Shalom, the God of peace, is Lord alone over all the forces that is threatening to blow you away. I'm going to repeat that. David invites us with the psalm to trust that God of peace, the God of Shalom, Shalom is Lord alone over all the forces that is threatening to blow you away. And he's encouraging you to hold your ground by turning to worship and praising your God, by exalting your God in worship. Even though when all around is the evidence of the aftermath of the storm and the damage it has caused, but in contrast to earth, heaven is calm. God has not been shaken up. He has not been fearful or panicking. So David draws our attention to a God who is enthroned over the engulfing water. He is the one in total control. We all experience difficult times in our lives that God has promised us that he will never abandon us. He will never bail out on us. He will never fail us. Instead, he promises, promises us, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29:11. With promises like this, promises which leads us to better understand God's plan for you and I, His plans to prosper us, to give us hope and a future and not to harm us, should lead us into worship because we are thankful despite our difficult times. Because we know God is for us, and if God is for us, then who can be against our us? Because God is our greatest asset and this should make us to prostrate before him. This is, should make us to exalt before him. This should make us to take his name with the divine majesty in our, in our lips, with the divine power. And our eyes should beam with his radiance glory. And then he moves on. With the last verse, it concludes with God's blessing his people. It is a twofold blessing. He says, God gives to us strength and he gives to us peace. This psalm is a great assurance about the power of our God, not an ordinary power, a tree-splitting power, a power that shatters the cedars of Lebanon, a power that strikes with bolts of lightning. A power that makes a barren wilderness quake. A power that shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. 
a power that twists mighty oak and strips the forest bare. And when you think of God, think of this majestic power and know that there is nothing he can do. No one who can thwart him or restrain his hand. No problem too big. There is nothing that he can control. And this Psalm is reminding us and encouraging us, us not to allow our circumstances to stop you from worshiping this almighty God. Not to allow our worship to be like this, like that crumbled church bulletin. Our worship should be in such a way that the demons will run and flee. Our worship should be such a way that we serve the God alone, that we serve the King of Kings alone. We serve the almighty God alone. Why? Because he has the tree splitting power. And nobody else has that power except him. And the storms that you are in is just a tool in his hand. And it is not, it cannot take master over our God. It cannot take control of our God. It is just a tool. And he has the power to control the storm that you are in. And this is a psalm where David makes us to be in awe of God's power, awe of God's who God is for us when we belong to him, who he is for us, that he is that majestic God, that he is a God who will never lack of power to deliver us from any storm. And that is who he is for us. Lord and heavenly father, Lord, we praise you, father God. We praise you, Lord, for your awesome power, father God. We praise you, father God, for your majestic power, father God. Lord, we praise you, Father God, for who you are, Lord, for your holiness, Father God. Lord, we praise you, Lord, because, Lord, you are indescribable, Lord. You are uncontainable, Father God. You are the God who placed the stars in the sky and you know them by name, Lord. You are the amazing God, Lord. You are the all-powerful, untamable God, Lord. Lord, make this power, Lord, to be uh, to make us to understand this power in you and make us, Lord, to be awestruck of this power, Lord. And make us, Lord, to fall on our knees. Make us to be prostrating before you, humbly, humbling ourselves, Lord, proclaiming, Lord, that you are an amazing God, Lord. That you are the God, Lord, who holds even the lightning bolt in your hands, Lord. We praise you for that, Father God. Lord, you are the God, Lord, who is brighter than the sun, Lord. Lord, who can fathom, Lord, your power, Father God? We praise you for that, Father God, for you are, Lord, an indescribable God. You are an uncontainable God, Lord. I pray, Father God, help us, Lord, to understand this power and help us, Lord, to be in awestruck by this power, Father God, like lightning, like thunder, like hurricane. May your power strike us, Lord, to our knees, Father God. Make us to be in awe of your power and make that, Lord, to turn into worship, Lord, in exalting you, glorifying you, magnifying you, Father God. I pray, Father God, for each one of our next level group, Father God, the leaders, Lord, the leaders' family, Father God, and each one of the families that is represented, Lord, in this next level group and each and Every church in the nation that is represented, Father God, that, Lord, we will learn to worship you, Father, 
that we will gain grounds, Father God. That, Lord, our eyes will reflect your glory. Our words, when we speak about you, will come, Lord, with a mighty power, Father God. Not like a dead man's word, Father. Help us, Lord, to be in awe of your worship, Lord, in awe of your power, Father God. And help us, Lord, to humble ourselves before you, Father. I pray, Father God, for Esther, Lord, as she has prepared the sheet, prayer sheet, Lord, this week and last week, Father God, I pray, Father, for Esther, Father God, that she will, Lord, will worship you in awe and in reverence and in a holy fear. And I pray, Father God, that you bless her, Lord, for the time she spent, Lord, in preparing this prayer sheet, Father. And I pray, Father God, for each one of us, Father God, that we will learn to worship you, Lord, in awe, in fire, Lord, with thunder and lightning, Father God. Give us that fire, Father God, to worship you in that way, Lord, where we'll be prostrate before you, Lord, where we will humble ourselves, Father. We will not come to you, Lord, with less reverence, Lord, as we talk to our buddies, Lord. Give us, Lord, the high reverence for you, Father. Lord, I pray, Father, let not the surroundings around us, Lord, make us, Lord, draw us into the lukewarm life. I pray that you, Lord, your majestic power draws into the fire of worship, Father. And I pray, Father, ignite us, Lord, with passion and fire for you, Father. I pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, the name that is above, above every name, the name that nobody can Describe it well, that uncontainable power's name, the name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Bye, everyone.